0: To us,
1: who's like us?
0: Damn
1: few. Hey, old friend, are you okay? Old friend, what do you say? Most friends fade, or they don't make the grade. New ones are quickly made, and in a pinch, sure, oh, they'll do. But us, old friends, what's to discuss, old friend? years to us, who's like us? Damn few.
2: So, old friend, fill me in slow old friend start from hello old friend I want the when where and how old friends do
3: tend to become old habit never knew how much I missed yet till now most friends fade or they don't make the great new ones are quickly made some Some of them worth something something too but us old
1: What's to discuss, old friends? Tell you something. Good friends, point out your lies. Whereas old friends, live and let live. Good
0: friends, like and advise. Whereas old friends, love and forgive.
1: And old friends, let you go
3: your own way. Help you find your own way. for too long. What's too long? If you're wrong. When you're wrong. The thing is,
0: old
3: friends do leave their
0: brands on you, but old friends shouldn't compete.
3: Old friends don't make demands on you. Should make demands on you. Well, don't make demands you can't meet. Well, what's the point of demands you can meet? Well, there's a time for demands whether you meet them or not. You oh, never right. right. Oh, the yeah, last we're time you did a wrong, it's cold. There is no other way. There's no other way. First and no other way. Hey, old friends, how do we stay? Old friends, well, who is to say? Like,
4: EJ Ionelli and this is From the Studio. And we are back in the KPBX studio this morning for our first From the Studio of the Year. And our guests today are from the upcoming production of the Stephen Sondheim musical Merrily We Roll Along, which is at the Civic this weekend and this weekend only. And as our guests come in from the performance space, I will introduce them. We have Gene Hardy, who is directing.
5: Good morning.
4: We have David Hardy, who is playing Charlie. Good morning. Good morning, David. We have Kala Mort, who is playing Mary. Hi. Hi, Kala. And we have Joel Cummings, who is playing Frank. Good morning. Good morning, Joel. And Henry McNulty, who is Hi, the show. Richard. Hi, Henry. Who is the show's music director and a uh, an increasingly familiar voice on our airwaves. Um, now, Jean, I'll start with the title of this. This is a, a little tongue in cheek, is it not?
5: I'm not sure if that's what they intended or not, but it does roll along. But not always merrily.
4: Yeah. And it rolls along in reverse chronology, doesn't it? Yes, it it? does.
5: It's a big challenge to not only the actors, but also the audience to understand, wait a minute, what's, what's happening here? But it also gives them an opportunity to the audience to be smart and to pick up the clues as we move backwards as to what happened in the scene we just saw and how one thing leads to another until we get back to the to the beginning of the whole thing.
4: And for folks who aren't familiar with the overall concept or the structure of this play, now we just mentioned that it goes backward in in chronology, but uh, we start off in the year 1976, don't we, and then move backward from there.
5: Yeah, it spans about 20 years. goes backwards, sometimes a jump of three years, one year, four years, and it picks up the the three central friends at different stages of their friendship and of their professional development. And it goes back to the night when the two fellas, who already know each other, first meet Mary, and they all sort of bond over the viewing of Sputnik, and look forward to how this is gonna change the world and they're gonna conquer the world and it's all young and hopeful and wonderful.
4: Yeah, the idealism does kind of yield to cynicism. So we see, we the play moves in such a way that we get back to idealism, but yeah. uh, our starting point is, uh, is a yeah. fairly jaded one now.
5: I'm afraid that the first scene does kind of start us out at a, a rough place in their lives. But my actors are awesome and carry out the demands of this and, and then the, the letting go of the cynicism little by little until we see them without all of that baggage but still see the clues as to what might have led it to go the way it did.
4: And we heard David and Kala and Joel singing the song Old Friends, which pretty much summarizes this relationship among this trio. Now, if you could introduce us to your characters, let's start with the characters that we meet initially. And uh, Joel, as Frank, I think I'm going to begin with you because mm-hmm. things you are sort of a centerpiece in this.
6: Sure, sure. I mean, Frank is a is an idealist that gets <coughs> caught up in success and being successful and doing whatever it takes to do that. And sometimes that means doing things that his partner and friend is not comfortable with. Sometimes that means getting involved in relationships that maybe he shouldn't, but he convinces himself that that's important to take the next step. Sometimes it's you know taking that bigger step in his career because that, he just can't say no to the, uh, the perceived kind of success that he's going to create from that. And it's just kind of a snowball effect where it's just one little decision here and there. And it just kind of rolls downhill to the point where he's not very happy at the, stop at the start of the show.
4: And we've seen several incarnations of Merrily We Roll Along since it debuted in 1981. And there's even a, a Broadway revival now that began off-Broadway in 2022 and, and is now um, so popular that it was just its run was extended in, until July. And so we've seen various incarnations of Frank over those years. Mm-hmm. And so we have the infantile Frank. We have the hedonist Frank, you know, the pleasure seeker. Okay. Um, who is your Frank.
6: I don't know. my Frank is a lover. like he loves <laughs> everything. and because of that, he he doesn't know how to prioritize. And I'm, I mean I'm really I'm really in love with Act Two, Frank, and I <laughs> want to really show the audience how much he, you know, is excited about the world, and even you know in in Act one where, where he's definitely more jaded and more cynical and, and he has to tell people. No, finally, you know, I'm trying to give glimpses of the fact that he still cares, he just doesn't know what to do, you know, because he's he's kind of painted himself into this corner and there's just no way out of it that he can see,
4: so. And I think this is something that I could probably pose to any one of the trio of friends, but do you allow glimpses of those early Frank, the the act two Frank, um, in fact, Uh do you allow glimpses of those early Franks to come through your older frank in act 1. I certainly
6: try. You know, we're limited obviously by dialogue. But yeah, there there are some moments where he feels hopeful again. But but it, to be honest, it's fairly bleak in those first couple scenes and you know, there's a lot of anger and a lot of frustration and so so stay stay for the second act. <laughs> Please.
4: And since Charlie's name is really only invoked in the first scene, we'll talk to you, Kala. Now, you are are present in this first scene. Mm. Can you talk about your character, Mary, and again, where we see her at the outset of the musical?
0: Yeah, in the first scene, you see Mary at her worst. She's waited years for Frank, who she's desperately in love with and has developed an alcohol problem, and it becomes very evident that uh, their friendship is close to its end and she is really I think at her core a hopeful idealist who really believed in Frank and in the magic that she saw. She, I think she's the one who never, never really gave up on that magic despite her friends telling her otherwise and many instances where she could have so it's very interesting to see her in that last scene even though there are glimpses of that love for frank that it's really just pain and it manifests in such a way that she destroys the party you know it's she brings she brings the vibe down
4: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and she she does occupy an interesting position because she is initially a journalist and then uh, a theater critic. Mm-hmm. And so she's there to uphold these high ideals um, and offer some commentary, critical commentary, on where Frank finds himself because Frank has pursued... Um, in his quest for fame and in his quest for stature, he has uh, sold out a little bit Mm -hmm. and compromised on some of these things. And so Mary is there and and able to kind of offer that critical commentary and say, this is where you kind of should be or where you started, and this is where you are now.
0: Right. Yeah, she offers some hard advice for Frank. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As much as she believes in him, she definitely holds to some of those... um, if he gave her a moment she she would absolutely try to like pull him back in but it's uh, there's just one thing after the next and she's just waiting she's waiting for that moment to say frank what are you doing and it's almost like that moment never comes she she tries to tap into it she tries she tries but she believes in frank so much she she waits for the moment instead of seizing it
4: But there is a point when I think she orchestrates a coming together of Frank and Charlie in kind of their later years, but this uh, also precipitates a falling out between them, a critical falling out. And so, David, I'll bring you in as Charlie, and maybe you can talk about a key line, which is the (laughs) Frank Shepard Incorporated. Oh, yes, Um, But talk about that and talk about, again, where we see your character at the outset versus where we find them at the beginning.
2: Well, Charlie, is a realist or he tries to be at least and also he's a little bit of a wiseacre <laughs> <laughs> and i think ultimately that's what gets him into trouble he is the he is the writer of the duo the the book writer for the the musicals that we write together and that means he's clever but he is not charismatic and he does not know how to modulate the words that he says and during a fateful television interview, Charlie suddenly has the spotlight on him and suddenly says all of the things that he's been thinking and saying, but says them all out in public on TV, and now uh, now we never in this house say the name Charles Kringus anymore.
4: And this is what causes Frank to bristle a little bit at oh, the yeah. mention of Charlie's name at the very at the very beginning of the play, which is also kind of its end. And in that song that we heard you singing, "Old Friends," um, there was the distinction made between old friends and good friends. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, this was a distinction that Sondheim wanted to tease out both musically and lyrically. Could you talk about how you perceive, as an actor, or maybe your character perceives this distinction between old friends? And good friends.
2: Yeah. Well, I think in Charlie's point of view, a good friend is supposed to be one that makes their friends better. Charlie wants to, you know, uplift Frank by, you know, inspiring him to make good choices, wants to uplift Mary by making sure that she makes good choices, she, you know, improves her position in, in the friend group. And, you know, kind of to help her to get through her problems. But Charlie is not the heart of the group. Charlie is perhaps the brains, but Frank is definitely the, the heart and soul of and the, the face of the group. And so mm-hmm. Charlie doesn't know how to do all of those things on his own. He kind of needs the rest of the friend group to help him do that. But also he has a tendency to push them away.
4: Mm-hmm. And Joel, I saw you um, straighten up. I didn't know if you had some thoughts on this distinction between good friends and old friends as well. Well, I, I, in that
6: particular moment, Frank, Frank doesn't want to hear what Charlie's saying. And so he's he's just trying to make a a statement that, well, if you were really my friend, you'd do it this way. Mm-hmm. And obviously that is not really yeah, true. Yeah, that's the but, thing that
2: ultimately breaks us apart. I think a good friend changes their friends. And you think a good friend lets the friends be who they want to be, right? Right.
0: Yeah, and I think Mary's just the one making the distinction between the good and the old, and it shouldn't matter anyway, and, you know, new friends are coming all the time, but look at us. Isn't there something here?
4: And um, we're talking about this song and focusing on this song in particular, but there's a whole wealth of music, and Henry, that's where you come in to talk about Sondheim, and Sondheim is uh, routinely regarded as a tricky composer to deal with. He always presents a challenge to the music director of whatever show, whatever Sondheim show you happen to be doing. So if you could talk about the music in this production and maybe some of the challenges and joys of it.
7: Sure. Yeah. The the music for Merrily We Roll Along is, I, I think in many ways, what has solidified the reputation of the show and has given it the opportunity to come back in these later forms. Um, because there just happen to be a number of Sondheim classics in it that even within a a show where the plot maybe didn't quite appeal at first, the songs stand on their own. I think Old Friends is one of those. I think a song that we'll hear uh, a little bit later, uh, Not a Day Goes By, is another. Um, Certainly a cabaret classic. And I I think a lot of people would argue Sondheim's best ballad. I, I think it's definitely up there. As far as the challenges of the show, I think there are indeed many, (laughs) just like (laughs) with any of his works. um, It's challenging lyrically, of course, certainly for a process this short. Um, The cast has had a a lot of work to try to get all of these complicated verses um, correct and in order for that matter, and that's a big part of it. And obviously Sondheim as a composer borrows from all sorts of styles and genres. You heard some really classic musical theater um, in that first song that we did. And in this show, Sondheim was trying to evoke different eras. And in Old Friends, he's definitely going for the mid-century Julie Stein um, sort of fun bombast. And that's in contrast to what they're saying, which I think is is fascinating. There's, they're in the midst of an argument, but at the same time, they're singing a classic buddy number. And the juxtaposition of those two things uh, is what makes the song really special.
4: And one of the things I think that makes Sondheim a critical darling is because there are a lot of a lot of things to analyze and a lot of things to savor. Because as he borrows from different eras and evokes these different eras as we move back chronologically, he also borrows from himself in this musical, doesn't he? Where he plants these little breadcrumbs of songs and uses Uh, snippets of, of melodies and other songs and weaves them throughout the musical to create this sense of continuity and bring everything back to, reversely, back to the starting point.
7: Right. In many cases in this show, because of the reverse chronology, he begins with the reprise of a song rather than with its first statement. So that will mean that we hear the developed version before we hear the early one. And that's taken to extremes in some cases where we hear little, uh, hear little motifs that are um, spread throughout the show. Probably a Good Thing Going, the theme to that, the main melody, occurs over and over. And by the time we get to the end of the show, which is to say the earliest point in the chronology, we get to hear Franklin Shepard workshopping it at the piano and not quite, getting, not quite getting the melody that we know because he's, he's still trying to um, trying to develop it. And that follows him through time to where at the beginning of our show, which is to say the end of the chronology, uh, it's fully developed and in the overture, which in a sense is chronologically our end point, <laughs> I think it finds its greatest expression. It has this, this lush tight horn harmony at the beginning, uh, deeply romantic even though it's not a romantic song in and of itself. Um, it's It's a most expressive point and it only goes simpler from there, which is fascinating musically.
4: And while we're on the subject of Sondheim, Joel, I wanna bring you in here to talk about um, Sunday in the Park with George, because this also allows us to uh, make mention of Amy DeRozzi, who's out in the performance space and waiting to sing mm-hmm. this song that uh, Henry just mentioned, Not a Day Goes By. Um, so your last musical was a Sondheim musical. Are you partial to Sondheim as an as an actor or as a performer, or is the, does that just happen to be the opportunities that arise?
6: Yeah, I think, I think it's more just how things have come up. I mean, we did do a show with with Cordland this summer that was very different. But yeah, I just think that's that's kind of how it's rolled out. You know, I obviously love complicated music, and uh, the show provides that. And, I mean, they're very different, very different shows. But uh, each one is its own challenge, and you know, I'm just happy to have the opportunity.
4: And this song, Not A Day Goes By, I don't know if somebody wants to provide some context for this to describe what we're hearing. I don't know if, Henry, you wanted to talk, you'd already made mention about the, um, the fact that we hear this as a, as a reprised version uh, initially and then move back, but does somebody want to talk about Not A Day Goes By and what this is evoking?
7: Well, I can speak to the um, reprise element mm-hmm. in any case, in that in the, the first time we hear it uh, within the show, it takes on a bit of a, a tragic element. Uh, so whats what we're going to hear today as being very simple and, and heartfelt, at least on the part of a couple of the characters, then becomes something that is bittersweet. And in its first iteration, uh, it has a much different character. I think the actors can speak to that
5: um not a day goes by is both a blessing and a curse i would say so we we first hear it as i still love you but this is not going to work and not but not a day is going to go by that i don't feel the pain of this lost love all the way back to when we will hear it sung for the first time but we hear it later where it's like not a day goes by that i won't be happy with you and it'll be wonderful so he's really given that song both aspects of love and pain um, for these
4: characters. Well, Henry, I'll let you move out to the performance space and um, whoever else happens to be involved in this song. And then, Gene, that'll give us an opportunity to talk a little bit about the reverse chronology and some of the directorial decisions that you have made to make this a little more comprehensible to the audience. Because we were joking out in the lobby initially how during an early production, they had the actors in um, in sweaters with name tags yeah. to indicate to the audience who was who and um, help them follow things a bit better.
5: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a show that's written with our, our leading players that we have just spoken with and a couple of others who are the same person throughout. And then there's an ensemble and they play multiple, multiple roles. There's an agent and a lawyer. But then the guy who plays the lawyer also plays Beth's father. And so I think that they felt that the, maybe the audience just wouldn't be able to follow, because at the same time, it's confusing that you're going backward in time. We are using projections on the back, each scene. Is clearly, we tell you what year it is and it's up there long enough, hopefully you'll, you'll notice and you'll read it. And I feel that if the audience can catch on to that quickly and get it, then I think they'll find it interesting and not just confusing. I think possibly in that early production, I know that the show has been worked on a great deal since that early production. It's been tweaked, it's been changed, it's been clarified. And I think that in that early production from the things that I've read, it kind of jumped around more even with, within the going backward, and audiences were just confused. And so we're going to try not to confuse them too much. We are doing this in a what you might call sort of a quasi-concert version. We have the orchestra on the stage. So we have just the downstage area to work with <clears throat> with the actors. So there's no walls. There, there's some furniture that moves on and off and moves around. But we're keeping that. It's like we don't have a, a different sofa for each scene. Same sofa keeps coming in and out. <laughs> um, but they do get to change costumes. We're keeping it, again, fairly simple. But there is a change in costume that will hopefully lead us to, oh, I see it's earlier. They're younger. And just doing what we can to to get the audience engaged so that they will want to follow this journey.
4: Well, I want to thank you and the rest of the folks for coming in today and talking about this. It's much appreciated. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having us. This morning, I've been speaking to Gene Hardy, Henry McNulty, Joel Cummings, David Hardy, and Callum Mort. We've also been hearing songs from the musical Merrily We Roll Along. Merrily, we roll along opens and closes at the Spokane Civic Theater this weekend. So you have just three days to catch it. And that's Friday, January 5th, Saturday, January 6th, and Sunday, January 7th. And you can get tickets and more information at spokanecivictheater.com or call the box office on 509-325-2507. And now we are going to hear Calamort, Amy Durazzi, and Joel Cummings, along with Henry McNulty, performing the song Not a Day Goes By.
3: I keep thinking, when does it end? That it can't get much better, much longer. But it only gets better, and stronger, and deeper, and nearer. And
1: and simpler, simpler, and and freer, and and richer, and clearer, and no.